Good morning, friends. Good to see you. Let's stand up. Hey, Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So let's use that breath and worship him. Here we go.
love came in. pray together. Heavenly Father, we offer you today, we offer you our presence, we offer you our attention, we offer you our worship, and um, I love so much of this lyric in this song, talks about how grace just overflows, and how you're alive in us, 
I think a lot of us can say that. And some of us have a hard time seeing that grace. And sometimes have, some of us have a hard time in these holiday seasons, especially seeing how, how good you are. And uh, we come back for those reminders. So God, would you speak today? Would you remind us of your goodness? Would you remind us of your love? Would you remind us of what you've done um, causes us to have action in our lives? And when we have action, um, we're reminded again of that love that you've given through your greatest action, through your son Jesus, the Christ child. So God, uh, today we honor you. Today we ask your blessing on our time together that we would see you and experience you and bump into the divine in a, just a different kind of way today. We love you. It's in your name we pray together and all of us say amen. God bless you, friends. Hey, before you have a seat, um, if you are standing, say hello to somebody. Ron, you will see you back in a second. Thanks. Good morning, Hopevale. My name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And it's just so great to be here together. You know, this is an incredibly busy time of the year. And we're just so glad that you've carved some time out of your schedule to be here this morning so that we have an opportunity to, to worship Jesus together. He's the reason for the season. And we're just so excited to be able to gather and praise and worship his name and lift him on high and be able to focus our minds and our hearts on him. So thanks for being here. Hey, last week, Pastor Dan and I shared a little bit about the Christmas outreach offering. And we, you know, we continue to get a little bit closer to our Christmas services and an opportunity to give to the Christmas outreach offering. And this is a, a special offering that we have taken here at Hopevale during our Christmas services since 2010. And in that time, you know, we as a church have given uh, over $823,000 to go and be invested in the name of Jesus in our community right here locally and around the world as well. So the response to that has been incredible. And I just wanted to share a couple of the stories that have been written this past year about how those funds have been invested through this congregation. One of those stories is we have a community group that got together and they went down to the Saginaw Rescue Mission and put on a birthday celebration for the kids who are staying with a parent at the rescue mission. And so Christmas outreach offering funds enabled them to go in and uh, provide you know, cupcakes and t-shirts and a photo booth and just party decorations and things like that so that the kids could have a great time and kind of take their mind off some of the, the stress that they're experiencing in their lives and to just have a great time together. And so Christmas outreach offering funds enabled that group to go in there and to serve and to get to know those kids and families and just bless them in the name of Jesus. And actually just this last week, another story that was written, uh, we have a community group member who found out that his UPS driver, uh, his family had a, a house fire. And thankfully none of the family members were injured, but they actually lost their dog in the fire. And you know, our community group member hearing this story just kind of touched his heart and he's like, hey, I, I think we want our community group to respond to this need and to this opportunity that God put in front of their path. And so our, our community group member, he dropped what he was doing in that moment, literally drove to South Campus and was like, hey, how can I submit a request for Christmas outreach offering funds so that my group can help this family? And I just love that because that's really the heart of what this fund does. It mobilizes our people for ministry. 
it's that reminder that we can all have our eyes open for the needs and opportunities that God puts in front of our path. And we can respond to that because we've given to this fund so that we can be, as a church, mobilizing our people for ministry in the name of Jesus. You know, those are just two of the stories written this year, and there are 84 more that have been written. And I'm pretty sure that Pastor Dan wants to preach today, so I can't tell you any more right now. But what I will uh, just encourage you to do is, throughout the year, you know, when we have an opportunity, we share some of those stories taking place on social media. And so if you're not, if you haven't liked uh, Hopevale Church on Facebook or Instagram, I would encourage you to, to get on those platforms like Hopevale, and you can be kept up to date on some of the stories as they're being written throughout the year. But just an encouragement to all of us that, you know, these funds have really mobilized people at Hopevale for ministry in some incredible ways over the years and this year. And we just really want to see that continue into the future as well. And so as you're just prayerfully considering how you can give this year to, to this special offering, there's a couple different ways that you can do that. We've got, we have these uh, envelopes in the lobby. You can pick that up and you know, bring it back to any of our Christmas services this year. There's also an online giving portion. And like I said, just prayerfully give how, how the Lord might be calling you to contribute to that fund so that ministry can continue to happen in some pretty powerful ways. Well, hey, as we continue our uh, service this morning, I want to invite the ushers to come forward. You know, as we just think about, um, you know, again, how God is at work in this church and through his people. You know, our hearts is that, you know, this, this platform that God has given Hopeville to minister in his name, that we're doing that well, that we're doing it excellently, and we're doing it with a heart for our community so that more people have that free invitation to know and follow Jesus. That's what it's all about. And that is the end that we give towards. So as we prepare to give uh, this morning of our regular tithes and offering, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much for uh, who you are and the opportunity that, that we have to worship you with our lives every day of the year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God, that's really our heart, that we would continually die to ourselves, die to our sinful nature, that we would just cast all that aside and fix our eyes on you. God, what you call us to in this life is so important to surrender our lives to you. God, that is our desire. That's what we want to be. That's the kind of church that we want to be. And there are so many ways and opportunities that that happens, God. And, and one of those ways is just through the giving of our money. And sometimes it's not things that we like to talk about, God, but from deep inside of us, we know that that's part of what you've called us to, to just hold our lives with open hands and open hearts so that we can give back to your work here on this earth. God, it's not about us. It's about furthering your kingdom here on this earth so that everybody would know how much you love them how much you have done for them, how you sent your son to this earth to die on a cross in our place. God, we are eternally grateful for all that you have done for us. And God, as we give a portion back to you, we just do it uh, with expectant hearts, knowing that you're going to take and to use this so that you would receive all the glory here on this earth. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be a part of your church and God, we just pray that 
we would be as beautiful as possible to the world around us so that everybody could know that you are our eternal king. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
in awe of you, in awe of your glory, in awe of your wonder. God, you're so big and so great and so powerful. We're just thankful to be able to stand here in your presence and worship you this morning. We praise you. We love you so much. And we adore you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, gang. Maybe see it. morning. I welcome you to Hope L. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor. I want to welcome those of you watching in the venue, part of our Bay City core. If I'm doing the math, you guys just have two Sundays left in the venue. Uh, and then we'll enter into Christmas and the adventure will begin in 2018. And so we're excited about what God has in store for us together. You know, today we're going to continue our Christmas series entitled Wonder. It's been great to sing these Christmas songs. And to begin, I want us to read through a passage of Scripture. It's from the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and closest friends. And years after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, John wrote this Gospel or this biography of Jesus to try to explain to the world, who this Jesus of Nazareth was, right? And why his time here on this earth was so significant. But here's the thing. Unlike the other gospel writers, John doesn't get into the nitty-gritty details of the Christmas story. There's no mention of the angel's announcement to Mary, no mention of her trip with Joseph to Bethlehem, or even of Jesus' birth in a manger. No, John takes a different tact. That instead of getting to the earthly specifics, he comes at Christmas from really like this more cosmic and eternal standpoint. And so he starts his gospel like this, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. I mean, all the way in the beginning. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Think about it. That an eternity passed before time began. In the very beginning, Jesus existed. He existed. He wasn't created. No, he just simply was there already, right? One with the Father, and he himself was and still is God himself. As a matter of fact, Jesus actively participated in creating this world and everything we see in it, including us. This is how John introduces us to Jesus. Not a helpless baby boy in a Bethlehem manger, but rather the Almighty, the eternal Son of God who was one with the Father. Now, let's be honest, you know, this concept of eternity, this existence beyond the confines of time, that is something certainly full of wonder. 
It's incredibly overwhelming to think about, isn't it? Awe-inspiring for us as finite beings to try to wrap our minds around this concept of infinite time. And then to ponder that this Jesus, the eternal word, created the heavens above and the earth below out of nothing? Well, needless to say, there is no one else and there is nothing else in all of human history that can even begin to compare to Jesus. No way. That's exactly the point John's trying to make here. The living word, this Jesus, worthy of our wonder, verse 4, in him was life. And this, that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, darkness, right? Think of all the evil, all the injustice, all the suffering in this world, from cruel dictators and mass genocides to human trafficking, natural disasters, epidemic diseases, all this darkness in the world, right? Yet John says that Jesus is greater than all that, that he is light, that he is life, that he is pure goodness and that there is nothing in this world, no matter how dark, evil, or deadly it might be, that can overcome him. Nothing. That his almighty power is a force for goodness in this world. He is this bright and holy light that shines in deep and utter darkness. So just like we don't have a category for the greatness of Jesus, we also don't have one for his goodness. No, even the most kindest and loving person you've ever met can't even begin to measure up to the pure goodness and light of our Lord Jesus Christ, which again is another point of wonder. And so as John sets all this up against the backdrop of the unseen and the eternal, he then describes the miracle of Christmas this way, dropping down to verse 14. The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So what happened on that Christmas morning? Sure, it's the story of a baby boy born to a young Jewish couple in a Bethlehem manger. But John also reminds us that it's so much more, right? That out of eternity, the almighty Son of God stepped into the earthly confines of time and space of flesh and blood, and he became one of us. He became one of us. Just like you, just like me, a fellow member of the human race, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now John in saying that, who is the master, by the way, of wordplay and double meaning in his writings, right? He's drawing upon this Old Testament language. Dwelt among us, using the analogy of the tabernacle of worship from the Old Testament to describe Jesus' coming into this world. That just as the tabernacle was the physical, invisible place where God met his chosen people in wondrous manifestations from glory, right? It was where heaven came down to earth. Well, so too is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, making his home among mere mortals in all his glory. We beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. What a big vision of this little baby boy born in the Bethlehem major. Well, I wanted to start with that passage today because as we continue on in this series, you know, so far we've been talking about the dangers that can get in the way of us experiencing the wonder of the Christmas story. The wonder that God intends for all of us, 
And Pastor Sam kicked things off by talking about the danger of familiarity, where we know the story too well, we just kind of become bored with that. And then last week, we looked at another enemy of wonder, and that is the need that we all have to feel like we're in control. And yet how Mary's story shows us, it's not one of her being in control, of her clinging to her plans. Rather, her example encourages us, like her, to enter into this faith-filled journey of wonder where we surrender our plans to the Lord's purposes. Well, today we're going to look at another well-known Christmas story that I hope is going to spur us on to deeper places of wonder. And as we do, I want you to keep what we just read from John chapter 1 in the back of your mind, right? That this infant Jesus we're going to meet again, that he is also the almighty, the eternal Son of God in the flesh. So if you have a Bible with you or you want to pull that up on your smartphone, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. We're going to begin with verse 1. This is the story of some foreign dignitaries known as the wise men, the magi, the three kings who have traveled a long distance to see this newborn in Bethlehem. This is what Matthew writes, Matthew 2, verse 1, that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, or Magi, I've heard it both ways, right? From the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, this story and even just these couple verses, you know, they raise a lot of questions that we don't exactly know the answers to. Like who? Like who are these Magi, right? I mean, the well-known Christmas carol says, we three kings of Orient are, but chances are they weren't so much royalty as they were servants of royalty in the East, as expert advisors, right? And they were experts in things like astrology, magic, science, dream interpretation, the study of all kinds of sacred writings, right? And how many of them were there? We'll see later on that they brought three different gifts to the one who was born king of the Jews, but we don't know for sure that there were exactly three of them. Two, three, thirteen? We don't quite know. And then, when did they come? Now, our nativity scenes show them right at the manger with the shepherds at the birth of Jesus, but most likely it was well after that. Some scholars say possibly up to two full years after, right? Who how many, when, we don't know for sure. And while I don't want to downplay those details, they're really secondary to the main question of this story, and that's the why, right? Why did they journey, these magi from the east, from Persia, from Babylon, around, all the way to Jerusalem, a, a journey that would have taken any, anywhere from 30 to 40 days, some have estimated. 30 to 40 days, that is a long road trip, isn't it? especially when you're traveling by camel, right? I mean, you've all ridden a camel before, right? Oh, you haven't? I don't mean to brag. (laughs) Well, actually, I do. Um, I have. I have traveled on a camel before. Don't believe me? I've got some proof. Take a look. Here's a camel selfie, okay? (laughs) Hanging out together, right? Here's a camel ride, right? We're up high, 
traveling by camel. Here's a pack of camels. Uh, wait, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> wrong slide. Hold on. Here's a pack of camels. There we go, right? Traveling by caravan on the east. And I got to tell you, it is far from comfortable, right? And this is how they traveled, right? Traveled from the east 30 to 40. I, I went just a few minutes, I can't imagine, several weeks. So these magi traveled from the east, and why did they? Let's go back to verse 2, right? What does it say? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Worship. Now hold on to that word. We're going to see that again. Because there is a very important connection that I want you to see between worship and wonder. Worship and wonder. Let's go on. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now this King Herod, also known as Herod the Great, was a very important and powerful person back then. And even though he wasn't Jewish himself, the Romans had appointed him as King of the Jews. And he served that over three decades. He ruled over this large part of the Middle East. He launched all these grand and opulent building projects for his own fame and glory. Even today, 2,000 years later, you can go back to the Middle East and still see massive ruins from what Herod built. So powerful, yes, but good, hardly. History tells us that Herod the Great was a cunning and ruthless tyrant who actually murdered his own wife, several sons, other relatives, and anyone else he thought would be a threat to his throne. That's why he was, quote-unquote, disturbed to hear about the Magi coming from the east to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. So disturbed, Matthew tells us later on, that Herod actually ordered the slaughter of all infant boys to and under in and around Bethlehem. And so Herod calls together the chief priests, the teachers of the law. Those were the religious experts of the day. And he asks them what they knew from the Hebrew scriptures about the birth of the Messiah. So they answer him. Verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea. For they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is a passage that Pastor Sam and I both talked about these last couple weeks, the very words of the prophet Micah spoken some seven, 800 years earlier, that out of this little town called Bethlehem, just six miles down the road from Jerusalem, a ruler, a king, a Messiah would one day come. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me that I too may go and worship him. Well, as you can see, Herod's not going to let this go, is he? That after he consults, consults one set of experts, he then goes back to the Magi and with deceptive and malicious motives, he says to them, Hey, once you find this child, let me know where he is because I want to go and worship him too. Now, if this is a movie, that's, you know, this is the part where you're just like yelling at the screen, right? He's lying. Don't tell him. He wants to kill the child, right? Don't listen, right? Wow. Verse 9. Well, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them 
until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed that beyond their 30, 40-day journey, beyond their inquiries in Jerusalem, beyond all those years of study and different kinds of sacred and mystical writings, their quest had finally come to an end. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, some have tried to explain this magic star as a comet, a supernova, some kind of astronomical phenomenon. But as far as we know, the movement of this special star that they saw, we're not sure everyone else saw it, was a flat-out miracle. Now, perhaps it was a lot like the visible Shekinah glory that led the Israelites through the wilderness in the Old Testament to the Promised Land. That this is the Almighty God working through His creation to bring these magi right to Jesus. Verse 11. On coming to the house, now isn't that interesting, right? So it's not a manger. This point, and we don't know, days, weeks, months, year, you know, Jesus is there. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They came, they saw, they worshiped. Actually, what does it say here? They physically bowed down. I I think it's no mistake that Matthew included that, right? They bowed down and worshiped the infant Jesus. What a sight that must have been, right? These grown men of great distinction, humbly kneeling before a child. They bowed down and worshiped him. These pagans, these Gentiles, these non-Jews worshiping the Messiah. See, it's very significant to see that this one born king of the Jews was actually born for people of all races, all religions, all backgrounds, all ethnicities. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, these incredibly valuable gifts, especially for a child from a young Jewish family of very modest means. Gifts of gold, gifts of frankincense, gifts of myrrh, gifts deserving of a royalty fit for a king. And then look at this, verse 12. And then having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, again, God working through supernatural means, they returned to their country by another route. This is God providentially working not only to save the Magi, but also to spare the infant Jesus, right? This incarnate, eternal word who, he's so young, he's helpless. To save him from the murderous intentions of King Herod. So after the Magi worshiping Jesus realized their task is complete, get on the camels, head back east to go home by another route. Well, this is a story about Christmas, right? We know this. It's a story about Jesus, but it's also a lesson about worship, and it's a lesson about wonder. As I said before, worship and wonder, they go together. They go together. As a matter of fact, listen to this. What you worship determines your wonder. What or who you worship determines your wonder. Now, what do I mean by the word worship, right? Because after all, what we're doing right now, we we call this a worship service, right? But the idea of worship is so much bigger than a Sunday morning or a church building. Now, worship is ultimately a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's about what we love the most, what we value the most, what we treasure the most, what we cherish the most, what we adore the most. That is ultimately the object of our worship. It's just as the grown-up Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, for where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. 
And so the way you can figure out what you worship is to look at the heart, right? Examine your heart. Probe your emotions. What do you desire the most? What do you fear the most? What brings you joy? What makes you sad? What gets you angry? What gives you hope? Those are very hard and personal questions to ask. They are. And any time we're courageous enough to examine our heart and to probe our emotions, we're getting to the core of who we are as people who are created in the image of God. People, you and I, we're so much more than just physical beings, right? No, we have a heart. We have a soul that is capable of deep longings, of intense feelings. And sometimes those feelings can be so intense we want to pretend they're not there for fear of being overwhelmed, right? And if you've ever been hurt, rejected, betrayed, abused before, if you've ever mourned and grieved over the loss of a loved one dear to you, you know how powerful our emotions can be. And yet our longings, our feelings, our emotions, those are God-given. They are, and they're not only a big part of what makes us human, they're a big part of what makes us feel alive. Listen, God created every single one of us as beings of worship, so the question isn't, do I worship? No, the question is, what do I worship? What do I, and one of the ways we discover the true answer to that question is to examine our hearts, to probe our emotions. And by the way, that's for those of us here who are not just the highly sensitive, touchy-feely, cry-at-every-sentimental Christmas commercial kind of people, right? But it also goes for the Stoics, the reserved, you know? the mild-mannered among us. And yet from there, after you probe your emotions, you can then evaluate your actions, right? Look at your life. It'll help tell you what you worship. What are my priorities? What occupies my thoughts? How do I use my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I direct my energies? Honest questions like these can also get to the heart of what we worship. You know, I go back to this story in Matthew chapter 2. I think of Herod the Great. See, for Herod, you know what I think he worshipped? I think he worshipped his kingship. His kingship. And everything that went along with that, right? The power, the prestige, the popularity, all the possessions. His kingship defined him. His kingship consumed him. That's what he treasured, and that's why he was so obsessed and wanted to get rid of the one who was born king of the Jews. It's also why his life was filled with fear and paranoia rather than wonder, right? And so as powerful as he looked on the outside, he was dreadfully insecure on the inside. Between this neurotic need to keep on building monuments to his own glory while also constantly looking over his shoulder to eliminate any potential threat, His heart lacked the peace and the fulfillment that God has designed him as one created in his image to experience. What you worship determines your wonder. On the other hand, take the story of the Magi. They were seekers of truth. And in that pursuit, they were supernaturally led by a miraculous star to the one who was full of grace and truth. And at the end of their quest, Matthew said they were what? They were overjoyed. Overjoyed, a word that could hardly be used to describe Herod, right? And when they saw Jesus, they bowed down, they worshiped, they opened their treasures, they gave him their gifts, costly gifts, gifts that could have defined them, right? And I'm sure they didn't fully understand that the child before them was also the living, eternal word, the one with God the Father in the beginning, 
And yet, while their knowledge about Jesus was far from complete, it was more than enough, right? Far from complete, but more than enough that in their sincere quest for ultimate truth, they were led to the one who is worthy of their worship. What you worship determines your wonder. Now, it's easy, right, for us to sit here 2,000 years later and point fingers at Herod and all his evil and darkness. But the fact is, he is just an extreme example of who we might become when the object of our worship is someone or something other than Jesus. He is. You know what the Bible calls this kind of worship? It's called idolatry. And when the Bible talks about idolatry, it's not just talking about bowing down to stone statues and wooden figures. No, an idol is simply a God substitute, right? A God substitute when it comes to our worship. I like to define an idol this way, that an idol is a good thing that becomes our God thing, right? It's when a good thing becomes our God thing. So we look at this someone, this something, and we think it's going to provide us the joy, the happiness, the meaning, the fulfillment that's missing in our life. It's what we believe deep down is going to make our heart come alive and is going to fill us with the wonder we're longing for. See, we think that there's this certain piece out there, this certain missing piece, right? And either we don't have it or we don't think we have enough of it, and so we're always looking for a little more, and it's that more that's going to make us feel complete. And trust me when I say that these idols, these God substitutes, are in and of themselves good things, right? They're blessings from God that if we're not careful can become God substitutes for us. And the examples are endless. For instance, there's nothing wrong with money, right? Nothing wrong with it at all, but money was never meant to be worshipped. See, the Apostle Paul didn't say that money is the root of all evil. He said what? The love of money, the worship of money, the adoring of money is the root of all evil. An evil that can lead us to places like envy, greed, jealousy, where we end up hurting, not loving other people in our lives in pursuit of it, right? Thinking all that we need is what? A little more. A little more to make us happy, a little more to feel secure, a little more to look important. Taking this good thing and turning it into our God thing. Or take something seemingly harmless, like hobbies and leisure activities, right? There's nothing wrong with those. As a matter of fact, those are gifts from God that he gives to us to relax us, to make us happy. We were never meant to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. No, you need to know that God is for your rest. He is for your joy, right? And he's uniquely wired. We have so many different people here. And we're wired to enjoy different things, right? Like hunting, quilting, bowling, reading, gaming. The, the, The list is endless, but our hobbies, our leisure activities were never meant to be the center of our lives, where they consume all our time, all our thoughts, all our energy. So it's one thing to take a break, it's another thing to escape from life. As a matter of fact, one of the ways you can tell if something has become an idol in your life is the effect it has on those closest to you. So guys, let me pick on you for a moment, because I've heard this both ways from your spouses, right? And the role a hobby or leisure activity can have, right? So I've heard this, you know, he comes back a much better person after he's been golfing with his buddies, right? And and that's a good thing. But I've also heard he's never at home. That's all he thinks about. He's spending money we don't have on another new club, right? It's this good thing that turns into our God thing. 
That's an idol. Or how about this? There's nothing wrong with wanting to raise successful kids in a close, tight-knit, caring family. I mean, those are certainly gifts from God. And yet, as good as those things are, and they can be enjoyed, they can be appreciated, but they were never meant to be the objects of our worship. It's the pushy dad who tries to find his meaning through his child's performance in the classroom, on the soccer field. It's the overprotective mom who controls every last detail of her child's life, even as they get older, to make sure that nothing ever bad happens to them. Now listen, I am all for responsible parenting, but if we take it too far, if we think that really is all on us to make sure everything turns out right for our kids, then we run the risk of becoming just as paranoid and maybe even as vindictive as Herod was, right? Because we want to protect that thing that matters most to us, and we're going to lash out at anything that threatens our God of family. And those are just some examples. No, whatever the idol might be, that good thing, that God substitute, you need to know it's never going to make you totally happy. It's never going to make you absolutely safe. It's never going to make you completely fulfilled. It's not, no, the only object that's worthy of our worship that will capture our wonder is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The one we beheld his glory, the one full of grace and truth. Matthew 2, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Today, I want to invite you into the wonder that's found in worshiping Jesus Christ, that he would be the one our heart loves, cherishes, adores, values, and treasures above all else. And so to invite you into that wonder, I want to give you three action words. Three action words, and depending on where you are in life, any one of these action words is going to speak to what will lead you to a deeper place of wonder. It's going to be different for each of us, but one of these should speak. And those words are these, repent, return, and remain. Repent, return, and remain. Repent and turn to Jesus. That's the first one. And here's what I mean by the word repent. You know, we, we hear that as maybe an old-fashioned religious type word, but the word repent literally means to turn, to change, right? It describes this action of us turning away from one thing because we're turning toward something else, right? And so when it comes to matters of faith, means turning away and letting go of that idol we think is going to bring us light in life because now we're turning toward Jesus Christ and worshiping him instead. You know, I think of that part of a couple's wedding vows, right? And there's that line where they say, forsaking all others. And commit my life to you alone, right? Forsaking all others. That's repentance. It's a way to declare our primary loyalty, our exclusive commitment to one and only one. Now, I, I suppose some of you here today have never really thought about Jesus that way. But that's who he's supposed to be for us, and that's why he came. He's worthy of our worship because of his greatness. He's worthy of our love because of his goodness. So this Jesus who demonstrated his love for you by coming to this earth, and by dying on a cross in your place for your sins, he invites you to respond to him by turning away from everything else 
and turning to him and responding in love and worship in return. This is how we come to know Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. It all starts there. That's where the wonder begins. Repent. Turn to Jesus. But second, return. Some of you need to return and come back to Jesus. See, there's a point in your past where you had repentant. You had forsaken all others. You had bowed down and worshiped Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. But as time went on, what happened? I don't know, your faith became stale. Your heart grew cold. And so either you ditched the faith completely, you went chasing after something else to worship, or you kept on going, doing all the right religious and moral things on the outside, but inside your heart was somewhere else. It's just as Jesus said of the Pharisees, right? You, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far away. Worship isn't about what comes out of our lips. No, it's what starts in our heart. So Christmas is the invitation to return. Return your heart back to Jesus that if you have left your first love, to come and adore him again. See, here's the amazing thing about our Lord, that because of his amazing grace, he never tires of welcoming us back home. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But Jesus never tires of welcoming us back home. Makes him sad when we walk away, but he rejoices when we return. And so if that's you today, return to Jesus and worship him anew. And then finally, remain. Remain and stay close to Jesus. This is for those of you who feel like you're in a good place, right? That empowered by God's Holy Spirit, you're trying to worship Jesus in every area of your life the best you can. My word to you is remain. And here's what I want you to know about the word remain, right? The word remain is not a passive word. It is an active word. It is an aggressive word. It is a word that says, I'm going to continually make choices. I'm going to make priorities, arrange my life to keep Jesus first because he alone is worthy of my worship. It is a fight. You know, the Christian life was never meant something, never meant to be something that we just flick a switch and go into cruise control or autopilot. No. It's a life of true worship. It's a life of endless wonder. And it comes from a place of continual, ongoing, daily, moment by moment, dependent upon Jesus. Just as Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, the vine, we are the branches. To remain, to stay, to draw strength and stay close from Jesus. That today, just once again, as another daily choice, we bow down and worship the one who was born, not just king of the Jews, but the one who is king of our lives. And so as you look at those, right, repent and turn to Jesus. Return and come back to Jesus or remain and stay close to Jesus. Whatever fits you, let this step, let this choice be your act of worship. Because when we do, we enter into the wonder of what it is to bow down and worship Jesus Christ, for he alone is worthy. Let's pray together. 
we bring our hearts to you, Lord. Because worship isn't just something we do or external motions of our physical body, but it comes from a deep place of the heart of the soul. That worship is a matter of primary allegiance. It's a matter of first love. And Jesus, that spot in our heart is meant for you and you alone. Thank you that the invitation is to love the one who has first loved us. And so whether our step is to repent, to turn away from the idol in our life and to turn to Jesus, whether it's to return for those of us who, who knew you at one time but have drifted away or become stale, grown cold, I'm going to come back to you, Jesus. Or for those of us here, because we, we just need to remain that our faith is a fight and we want to stay close to you. God, give us that grace because you, Lord, you alone are worthy. We thank you for the miracle of the Christmas story, the incarnation, the eternal word stepping into our world, becoming flesh, dwelling among us, living a perfect life, setting a great example, dying this sacrificial, substitutionary death on the cross in our place, and being raised again to new life, which opens the way for us to know life everlasting, life eternal, the forgiveness of sins, and joy unspeakable. And thank you, Jesus. How else can we respond? but to give you our worship. You are King. You are Lord. And we praise your holy name. Amen. So two times in that scripture, friends, we're reminded that the Magi came. It says they came to uh, worship and bow down. We don't do this all the time here at church, but um, if you're physically able, um, some of us may want to stand. Some of us may want to sit. Feel free to do whatever you like. But if at any point in this song you would like to worship and bow down and maybe take a knee and uh, worship the Christ child, the one who's come for your, your salvation today, please feel free to do so. We're going to sing two, two or three songs here. You, remember, you may remember this old one, but it's a good one. Let's worship and bow down together and sing. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus.
singing those songs, I thought, you know, we, we come from a wide variety of backgrounds. 
And some of us, either how we were raised or kind of the way God's wired us, we never really connected church with our hearts. I want to give you that word adore this week. I want you to worship Jesus. Give him your hearts. Give him your worship. Give him your life and enter into the wonder that God wants you to experience. Next week, Pastor Sam's going to continue our wonder series by talking about the shepherds and their journey towards wonder. But as you go from here, may the Lord fill your heart with wonder and worship for Jesus Christ, the newborn King and King of your life forever. God bless you.